right, now if you would, open your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 42. We'll read the first 35 verses of Genesis chapter 42. Gary, after I read this, would you come off a prayer for us, please, sir? Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there's corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence, that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan, to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. And said unto them, Ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land are you come. And they said unto him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land are you come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And Joseph said unto them, This is it that I spake unto you saying, Ye are spies. Hereby ye shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh, ye shall not go forth hence, except your younger brother come hither. Send one of you, and let him fetch your brother, and ye shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. And he put them all together into ward three days. And Joseph said unto them the third day, this do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me. So shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. And they said one to another, We are very verily guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. And he turned himself about from them and wept, and returned to them again and communed with them, and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn, and to restore every man's money into a sack, and to give them provision for the way. And thus he did unto them. And they laded their asses with corn, and departed thence. 
As one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the end, he, he espied his money. For behold, it was in his sack's mouth. And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? And they came unto Jacob, their father, unto the land of Canaan, and told him all that befell unto them, saying, The man who is the Lord of the land spake roughly to us, and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men, we are no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father, one is not, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that ye are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me, take food for the famine of your households, and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me. Then shall I know that ye are no spies, but that ye are true men. So will I deliver you, your brother, and ye shall traffic in the land. And it came to pass as they emptied their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. We'll end our reading there. All right, Gary, if you would come lead us in prayer, please, sir. Our dear and most precious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, first and foremost, for giving unto us this place in which we have to worship. It's a blessing and a privilege to know and to have preached unto us the truth each and every time we enter into us this place. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a pastor who teaches and preaches us your word, perfecting us in that in which we have been given perfecting us in your grace, and by that same grace giving us the faith in which we have to believe. All these things we have been made perfect by the perfections which is in Christ Jesus the Lord, only in him. It's his perfect righteousness and holiness, his sanctification and redemption are we perfect. We have nothing within ourselves to offer or to give. So we come to you this evening, Lord, as poor, depraved, and needy sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We pray you bless our pastor that he give us these words this evening, Lord, in an effectual way. We see and understand and clearly understand the love in which you have for your people, the love in which you first loved them, gave your only son for them. That is a blessing beyond our comprehension. We're unable to truly understand these things but we know these are the things of eternal life and that is our constellation here this evening and we pray lord for those in whom are going through the troubled times those difficult times these trials and tribulations of this world the infirmities the afflictions of these fleshly bodies all these things we know don't happen by chance these things as in all things has been ordained by you and are coming to pass in that perfect order so we pray these things, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name and for Christ's sake only. Amen. We hopefully still have your Bibles open there to Genesis chapter 42. 
I titled the message this evening, From Famine to Abundance. Now, the years of famine had come on all the earth, just like Joseph had said that they would, and now Joseph's family is hungry. In our text this evening, that hungry family goes from famine to abundance. This is a picture of how God's elect go from a spiritual famine to spiritual abundance. How we go from nothing to abundance of mercy and grace and righteousness in Christ. But you know, going from spiritual famine to spiritual abundance, it takes a process. There are steps that must be taken and you can't skip any of these steps. It takes all of these steps to make us trust completely in the Lord. I've got five or six points here on this I want to give you. But first one is this. These, these are the steps I see here and pictured in this chapter. Before God saves us, we've got to be in a spiritual famine. Verse 1, now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I've heard that there's corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. Now verse 57 of chapter 41 says, All countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because the famine was so sore in all the land. That word sore means that the famine was strong, had a strong grip in all the land. And it made the situation urgent, urgent for everybody. You know, that was a very distressing situation for Jacob and his family to be in. I mean, can you imagine? We can't really imagine this land of plenty being in a place where there's a real famine. I mean, there's nothing to eat. Nothing's growing. There's nothing to eat. That's a distressing situation. But you know, it had to be that way. Had to. Something had to make the situation urgent. Something had to make the situation so desperate or else they never would have gone to Egypt. Something has to make them so desperate that they'll go to Joseph. Now, they don't know Joseph is down in Egypt yet, but that's where they got to go. They don't know it. But the situation had to be dire to make them do that. Isn't that a picture of what God does for his people? I can't tell you how many people have told me this story, that they were in false religion and quite happy to be there. And suddenly, for, for no apparent reason known to them, they became dissatisfied with what they were hearing. They started to starve spiritually. They used to be happy. Nothing's changed but them. Now they're miserable. <laughs> now that's an uncomfortable feeling, isn't it? To, to just be dissatisfied with what you're hearing and, and, and not know why. But you know, the Lord had to do it that way. He had to make them miserable before they'd ever leave the comfort of their false refuge. He had to make the situation dire before they leave. The Lord had to make them miserable where they are, so they'll go looking for something else. See, the Lord used that misery to draw them to Christ, didn't he? It had to be that way. See, we will only go looking for salvation in Christ when we find out we don't have any hope in ourselves. You know, that's why Jacob told his boys, quit sitting right here looking at one another. There's no answers to be found in each other. We can't be looking at each other. There's no hope to be found in us. We've got to go somewhere else. We've got to go somewhere where there's some hope. But the Lord has to make us hopeless in ourselves before we'll go looking for hope in Christ. Now, like I said, that's a miserable feeling. But it's necessary. 
You can't skip this step. The Lord making us miserable in ourselves because the only way we'll ever trust Christ completely is if we learn that we're not, we can't trust ourselves in any way. See that? We can't skip that step, can we? Then the second thing is this. Before God saves his people, we're going to have to hear of Christ. Now somehow, I don't know how, but somehow Jacob heard there's bread in Egypt. He said, let's go there and get some before we die. Now that's a picture of the Holy Spirit crossing our path with the gospel, making us hear of Christ, making us hear there's life, there's forgiveness, there's righteousness in Christ. Go to him. The Holy Spirit crosses our path with the gospel, makes us hear. Now, pretty good chance when we first hear, we won't believe it. But if the Lord's going to save us, he's got to make us hear of Christ. He's got to. It's got to be that way, doesn't it? You can't trust Christ if you don't know him. You can't trust Christ if you don't hear. Somebody's got to tell us who he is. Somebody's got to tell us what he's done for his people. So we're trusting. See, if God's going to save us, I promise you this. Somehow, he's going to make us hear of Christ. And there's so many different ways that that the Lord does that. It could be a child born in a family that takes us to hear the gospel all their lives long. We spend our whole lives long being taught the scriptures. We start in the Sunday school roles at age three in that little room over there, you know. All our life long being taught the scriptures. Now, we're going to hear for a long time before we hear. We're going to hear for a long time before we hear with the ear of faith. But if the Lord's going to save us, he's going to make us hear of Christ. Isn't that, isn't that a blessing that the Lord do that for a child? So that they don't ever remember learning. Oh, Christ is the Savior of sinners. They don't ever remember learning all this. It's just what they've always been taught. The Lord did that for them. Faith cometh by hearing. Like the example I used a little bit ago. Maybe we spend a long time in false religion. And something happens. We, we hear something from a, from a family member, a friend, or a co-worker. And maybe it seems like such a small thing, such an insignificant thing, but it's something that the Lord uses to make us hear of Christ. Now, I tell you, don't ever quit inviting your lost loved ones and your friends and your neighbors to come hear the gospel. I know you can't beat them up with it, but always make it known to them I'm inviting you. Come come with us. Come here. You just never know what some seemingly small thing the Lord will use to bring his people to come hear of him. But then it also could be this. Maybe it's a small way. Boy, the Lord may move the whole earth. He may do something great to bring one of his children to hear of Christ. man told me this recently. He grew up in false religion, very happy in it. And he went to war in Afghanistan. And he became, while he was there in that war, he became dissatisfied thinking about the message he'd heard all his years growing up. And he was there in Afghanistan, and there's a man in his troop or whatever it was, a friend of his, that told him, he said, come up here on top of this one evening on top of his house. He said, to, he's got something I want to listen, I want you to listen to. And he could connect to the internet and he played that man a, a message on sermon audio by Greg Elmquist. And that man said, that's it. 
If I've ever heard the truth, that's it. He said, you got any more of those? I mean, I said, yeah, I got quite a few. <laughs> Lord saved that man. The Lord made that man hear of peace in Christ, sent him to the middle of a war zone. Isn't that something? He said, I don't know all the reasons we went to war, but one of them is this. That, that's the way the Lord's pleased to reveal himself to me. I mean, it just makes your hair stand on end, doesn't it? We don't ever have to worry. Something's going to happen in this life to keep God's elect from hearing of Christ. They're going to hear. They're going to hear. I promise you there. Our job is to just keep preaching Christ. Just keep preaching Christ. Because we can't believe on a Savior we've never heard of. So you can't skip this step, can you? You can't skip this thing of hearing. Then third, before God saves us, He's going to have to draw us to Christ. We're not coming on our own. He's going to have to draw us to Christ. Verse 3 says, And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lest peradventure mischief befall him. Now it says here the brothers went down to Egypt. And I know that means they went south from, from where they were. But the picture here is of what every sinner has to do before God saves us. God's got to bring us down. We've got to go down. I mean, we've got to go down until we can't go anywhere. We've got to go down until we see there isn't a worse sinner anywhere than me. Nobody's more guilty. Nobody's more vile. Nobody's more hell-deserving than me. The Lord just has to strip us. He's got to lay us low for this reason. We've got to be completely dependent on God to do all the saving. And we just won't be completely dependent until the Lord lays us low. I mean, as low as we can go. Now, that's a tough thing for the flesh, isn't it? To be humiliated. To be, to be laid low like that. It, it's miserable. It's uh, scary, if that's the right word. To get a glimpse. If the Lord gives us a glimpse of just how wretched and vile we really are. Oh, it's miserable when the Lord shows us that, didn't it? But you can't skip this step of being brought low because we'll never beg for mercy until the Lord lays us low. He's got to show us how helpless we really are. And that brings me to the fourth thing, fourth step. Before God saves us, he's going to make us beg for mercy. Verse five, and the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And here Joseph's brothers came. They're begging. When you bow yourself down with your face to the earth, you're begging. You're prostrating yourself. They came down, bowed themselves down to the earth. Just exactly like Joseph's dreams told him they'd do. It's been 20 years. But sure enough, it happened. Here they came, bowing themselves to the earth. Now that's a picture of God's providence for his people. Before time began, the father elected a people that he would save out of Adam's fallen race. He set his love on those people. He chose to save those people. In the fullness of time, the father sent his son into this world as a man, to redeem those people by his obedience and by the blood of his sacrifice. Now, redemption has been purposed 
It's been purposed, or purposed and purchased by the will and doing of God. God did it all. It's done. It, the great transaction is done. But before God gives mercy in the heart of his people, he's going to make them beg for mercy. And you know, that's the way it should be. A guilty man should beg for mercy, shouldn't he? I mean, we don't deserve mercy. The guilty should beg for mercy. That's the way God does things. And in case you've ever missed it, let me tell you one more time. You and I are guilty. Tell you what to do. Come to Christ. Come beg him for mercy. Now let me tell you about this thing of begging for mercy. God doesn't have to show us mercy just because we beg for it. Now, he will, but he doesn't have to. God does not have to show us mercy just because we begged for it. If that were so, that would make our begging a work that God was pleased with. Now, that can't be so. That can't be so. Well, that's impossible. God does not have to show mercy to any of us. But God is going to show mercy to somebody. He is. He must because that's his nature. God's nature is mercy. So he's going to show mercy to somebody. It just doesn't have to be me. Bob, it doesn't have to be you. I mean, it doesn't have to be us. But it's going to be mercy for somebody. That's why we beg for mercy. We've got to come and beg for mercy. Here's how this thing of mercy works. And here's how pretty much everything God does works. The Father has purposed mercy for his people. Our prayers, our begging, it doesn't change God's eternal purpose and will, does it? No, God's purposed mercy for his people. The Son purchased that mercy by his sacrifice for his people. But left to their own devices, those people never seek it out. They'll never come begging for mercy. So you know what God does? He, he is the one that puts it in their heart to beg for mercy. He makes them beg for mercy and then God gives them mercy just like he purposed to do all along. See, whenever God is getting ready to do something, he always puts it into the heart of his people to pray for it. And then he does it. And then he does it. You know, whatever it is that's on your heart, tell you what, pray for it. Whatever it is on your heart, pray about it. Whatever it is, The Lord put it there. Pray for it. Now I know that God has purposed mercy for his people. I know they're going to have it. But you can't skip this step of begging for mercy, can you? Now God, in his time, he's going to make us feel our need of mercy. He's going to make us feel our guilt. He's going to make us feel our need of mercy. And he's going to make us beg for it. And then he'll show us mercy. And here's why all of God's people willingly Beg for mercy. That's my fifth point. Before the Lord saves us, he's going to expose our guilt. Our guilt has got to be exposed. Our sin must be exposed. That's what happens beginning in verse 7. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan, to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land are you come. 
They said unto him, Nay, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land are you come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And Joseph said unto them, That is it that I spake unto you, saying, Your spies. Hereby ye should be proved. By the life of Pharaoh ye should not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. Send one of you, and let him fetch your brother. And ye should be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. And he put them all together into ward three days. And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye carry corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me. So shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore, that's the reason this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear? Therefore, behold also, his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. Now here's how Joseph is going to expose the guilt of his brothers. He accuses them of being spies. Now spies, they go behind enemy lines. They don't belong there. They're not friends of the people that they pretend to be, but they're not. They're spies. And they try to take what doesn't belong to them. They try to unlawfully take and steal what doesn't belong to them by tricking people. Now that's most religious people. They're spies. They're trying to get what doesn't belong to them. They're trying to trick God into thinking that they're righteous enough that God might give them eternal life. Religious people or spies are just trying to get something in an unjust way. They're trying to get salvation by their works, even though Scripture says salvation is not by works. They're trying to get something in an unjust way. They're trying to do something to make God obligated to save them. God has to be merciful to me. God has to bless me because I've done A, B, C, and D. They go through religious religious ceremonies. They walk an aisle, they go and they, they pray through it, they, they get baptized, they change their lives and, and live a more outwardly moral life. Now, all the time they're doing that, they completely ignore the law of God. And you know why they ignore the law of God? Because they can't keep it. They know they can't do what the law requires. So they make up their own version. They make up their own religious code, you know, their religious standard, and they make salvation dependent on their standard, not God's standard. What they're trying to do is take salvation instead of receiving it from the hand of God, receiving it by his grace. Now that's unjust, but that's just exactly what a spy will do. Spies, they're sneaky people. They're just trying to sneak around God, they're trying to find a way to sneak around God and get in the back gate of heaven. That's what they're trying to do. And Joseph's brother said, no, 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 no. we're not spies. We're true men, true men. Now, true men are honest, aren't they? 
True men, true women, they're honest with God and honest with themselves. They're not trying to take credit for something they didn't do. (laughs) True men don't try to take salvation. They're not trying to do something sneaky in order to get it. True men operate out there in the open for everybody to see. True men beg for mercy because they're guilty. True men receive mercy from God's hand on God's terms by his grace and the merit of Christ, not their own. Joseph accuses them of being spies. And here's how he exposes their guilt. He's been laying this trap for them. He's playing chess, they're playing checkers. I mean, he's just laying this thing, this trap out for them. And he said, no, 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 we're true men. And Joseph says, all right, if you're true men, you produce this younger brother and father of yours. Let's see. Then they remember Joseph. Then they did. Then they remembered that one that is not. Now you notice, they didn't say he is not because we sold him into slavery. They didn't say he is not because we nearly killed him. But they remember. They remember what they did. Their conscience is bothering. They say God has waited 20 years and now he's going to get us. Now he's going to get us for what we did to our little brother and we deserve it. There's not one of them saying to each other, we don't deserve this. They're all saying we deserve it. We deserve to be in jail. We deserve to never go home again. We deserve to die. God's going to require our blood because of what we did to our little brother. Now you see the picture? If God's going to save us, he's going to make us beg for mercy and we'll willingly beg for mercy because he's going to expose our sin. He's going to expose our guilt. He's going to expose not just what we've done. He's going to expose what we are so that I see I deserve God's wrath. Now, when that happens, when God, when he exposes our sin, he exposes our guilt, a spy will try to find some way to wriggle out of it, won't he? True men and true women are honest. They're honest with God. They say, Lord, you're right. You're right, I'm guilty. Lord, if you had damned me, you'd be right and just. That's exactly what I deserve. But true men beg for mercy. Lord, you're right. I'm guilty. But would you be merciful to me? Lord, would, oh, I'm begging you. Would you, be, would you forgive my sin? Would you, would, Lord, would you forgive me? Do you want me to show you something that will comfort the hearts of those who beg God for mercy? Look at verse 24. And Joseph turned himself about from them and wept and returned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Now these brothers had showed such open hatred of Joseph. They hated him so much they couldn't even speak to him. They hated him. Oh, they hated him. And this he's just their kid brother. He just wanted them to like him. He just wanted them to love him. And they hated him. They treated him in such a hard-hearted, just mean way. They threw him in a pit where there wasn't any water and sat down to eat lunch and ignored his cries, begging for water while he's in the pit. They just ignored him. They're so cold-hearted. Oh, a cold-hearted. I mean, how just rotten do you have to be to sell your brother to ISIS? That's who's passing by. And then 
to take an animal and put that animal, kill the animal and put the animal blood on his coat and take it to his father. Saying, is this is this the coat of your son? Telling their father an animal killed your son when they sold him into slavery. And what a life. What you think of the repercussions for the next 13 years, what Joseph suffered living as a slave in a land where he didn't know anybody, didn't know the language, then getting thrown into prison for a crime he did not commit, had to tell the butler all about the dream and tell him the butler, now remember me to Pharaoh, the butler forgot about him for two years. I mean, you think the misery this man went through for 13 years. Then these seven years, he's been so busy preparing for the famine. And here them brothers come, those cruel, vicious brothers, begging him for food. Everybody just thought what we'd do if we were in Joseph's shoes, didn't we? You know what Joseph did after all of that? When he saw the anguish of his brothers, he was moved to tears. I tell you what, Almighty God delights to show mercy to sinners. He delights to. He said, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It doesn't please God to, to send the wicked to hell. It doesn't please his justice. It doesn't make him feel good. It doesn't find pleasure. And that's what they deserve. His justice is going to do it. But his justice is never satisfied. He's had no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but you know what I have delight in? Showing mercy to sinners. After all of our sin, after all of our rebellion, after all of our open hatred of God Almighty, his heart is still moved when we beg for mercy. His bowels of compassion are moved when a sinner begs him for mercy. Now, if that doesn't break your heart and cause you to run to Christ, I don't know what will. Isn't it? The capacity of Almighty God to love sinners is astounding. Isn't it? Well, here's the last thing. When God saves us, He releases us from prison freely. Freely. Verse 25, Then Joseph commanded, to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for the way. And thus he did unto them. And they laded their asses with corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the end, he espied his money. For behold, it was in his sack's mouth. And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored. And lo, it's even in my sack. And their heart failed them and they were afraid saying one to another, what is this that God hath done to us? And you know, back when we read it to open the service, when they got back home, they found out all their bundles of money were in their sacks. Joseph gave them all this corn. He gave them extra. He gave them provisions for along the way. They didn't buy that. He, he gave that to them anyway. And he gave them their money back. And you know why he did that? It's a picture the salvation, the bread of life, is by grace alone. Pure grace alone. The Lord's not going to take any money from a sinner in exchange for salvation. 
This thing of salvation is, is not a barter system with God. It, God's not going to trade salvation and mercy and grace to, to some sinner for our good works. Salvation is free. It's free to a sinner. You can't have it if you're trying to pay anything for it. It's got to be free. Now, salvation is free to you and me. And you know why? The Lord Jesus Christ paid the price for it with his own life's blood. And he commands it. Just like Joseph commanded their sacks to be filled with corn. He commands that salvation. The salvation he purchased for his people, he commands it to be given to them freely. And it is. Now these brothers, they got as much corn as they can possibly carry. And they got all their money. They got all their money. Now they don't understand what all this means just yet. But here's what they know. They're laying down with corn and they got all their money. They got that corn for free. Now that's the way it is when God first reveals himself to us. We don't fully understand everything that Christ has done for us just yet. But we're going to grow in grace. We're going to grow in knowledge because the Lord's going to teach us. And that's what Jacob and his sons are getting ready to do in these coming chapters. The Lord's going to teach them. He's going to show them what he's done for them. And it's my prayer, the Lord will be pleased to do that for you and me too. That he'll, he'll start revealing more of himself to us and what he's done for us. Teaching us by his word. That's the way salvation is. It, the Lord saves us. He reveals himself to us. He gives us life. Boy, he ain't done with us, is he? <laughs> and aren't you glad? No, he keeps us and guides us and leads us and teaches us all the way home. All right. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, I thank you for this time that you've given us together to one more time hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, human language is so insufficient. What can we say to properly express our thanksgiving? for your mercy and grace to sinners, how you would condescend to sinful men and women such as we are. But Father, we do thank you. Just like Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you know we're thankful. You know we're thankful. Father, I pray you take your word as it's been preached tonight and cause it to bring your son glory and honor. Enable us, each heart here tonight, to see him and believe on him and leave here tonight resting in him. And then, Father, I pray you continue to bless and teach and lead and guide and keep according to your goodness and the riches of your mercy and grace that you have reserved for your people. Now, Father, all these things we ask and we give thanks in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.